Tonight we're going to be looking at that portion of scripture that was read by Brother James George. And we're talking about being equipped to serve the Savior. In order for us to be effective as workers in the kingdom of God, we have to be equipped, don't we? We know that individuals who might join the military, that they are equipped to serve in that capacity very specifically. And by the same token, in the business world, the corporate world, individuals who go to work for a very specific corporation are trained, equipped to do whatever it is they need to do. They are taught certain things. They are equipped to work in that area of expertise and have been trained to do that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is Paul's last inspired letter, and the time is about A.D. 68, and he is about to give his life for the cause of Christ. Now, history tells us this. It is not in our Bibles. But history tells us that Paul was beheaded for the cause of Christ in Rome. But here he is writing to young Timothy. And Timothy was his son, own son in the faith. And Timothy was a young preacher, a young evangelist. And he had the opportunity to work side by side with the Apostle Paul, I've always wondered what it would have been like to be able to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul because we know that he said that he always walked in the footsteps of Jesus. And I always wondered just what it would have been like. But I, we know that Timothy was able to do that. That it not only had the opportunity to work by Paul, and to learn by observation, but he had the opportunity to learn as a result of sitting at his feet and hearing what he had to say. And so I think that Timothy was well equipped to be able to carry on once Paul was no longer able to do it after being beheaded by what the historians tell us, and to be able to carry on by way of evangelism and edification in the kingdom of God. Now, I want to begin tonight, but first of all, talking about the examination. And then secondly, there is the expectation. And then thirdly, there is an exhortation. These three very specific points are directed to Timothy. But there's a lot of application for us as well. So consider with me, if you will, first of all, the examination. Look at verse 10. Paul said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. There are two things that I think stand out in these verses. First of all, 
we find that Paul identifies some attributes that he had demonstrated before young Timothy. And then there is his attitude. Think for a moment about the attributes that Paul was talking about. Paul said, but thou hast fully known. I mentioned a moment ago that Timothy had the opportunity to observe firsthand the actions of Paul. But not only did he observe the conduct, the life of Paul, the teaching of Paul, but he listened intently to what was said. So Paul, in a very specific way, identifies some things about his life. Very interesting, those things. First of all, he talks about his doctrine, isn't it? I mean, he said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my teaching. You see, doctrine is extremely important, isn't it? I mean, there is true, sound doctrine, but then there is also false doctrine, false teaching. But in his first letter to Timothy, back in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3, Paul had said, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest change or charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's pretty, that's pretty good there. Paul taught the doctrine of Christ. He was a teacher. And he had made a charge even to Timothy that, they, that he might even charge some that they teach no other doctrine but the doctrine of Christ. Now, Paul taught the doctrine of Christ. He was a teacher. He was a writer of the commandments of the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 37. And so Timothy had the opportunity to listen, to learn intently the doctrine or the teaching of Christ. And here, Paul reminds him of that. But then he talks about his demeanor. He said in verse 10, but thou hast fully known my manner of life. I think about how Paul kind of carried himself well respected before he became a preacher by those around about him, but not highly respected by those once he became a preacher as much as he was respected before. But then I think about it, Paul carried himself in such a way that others knew where he stood when it came to doctrine and his demeanor. Now, Paul, in writing to the church of Philippi, said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. You see, when I think about the life of Paul, I think about somebody who sought to do the best of his ability to be able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Isn't that what I said earlier when I thought about Timothy and and Timothy walking in his footsteps. Here Paul was walking in the footsteps of Jesus. He sought to walk in those footsteps. And he could encourage others to walk in his footsteps insofar as he walked in the footsteps of Christ. And so Paul carried himself as a New Testament Christian. He was a shining example to all who were about him. In Philippians 1.27, he, he tells us, only let your conversation or your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You go to chapter 2 and verse 15. 
He would say that you may be blameless and harmless to sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Timothy knew about that. He observed Paul. He had seen firsthand just how Paul cared himself. And then I think about his devotion as well. Listen also. He said, you carefully followed my purpose, faith, long-suffering, and love. Characteristics that no doubt had served Paul very well. I, I think about somebody who's intent on serving the Lord, come what may. That's Paul. You remember in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I am crucified in Christ, nevertheless I live, but yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, he says. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The single aim of Paul was to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, according to Matthew 6.33, and to, that was to evangelize. That was to lead people to Christ, and not only to evangelize, but also to edify, to build up people in the faith of Almighty God. You know, the fact that he was long-suffering down in 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul would tell Timothy to preach the word, to be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why? So that you could be a man of God, a servant of God. In dealing with people, you have to suffer long. Because people are not perfect. Paul, no doubt, wanted Timothy to understand that. But then I think about his difficulties. His difficulties were offset by his determination, of course. But back to our text, we look at verse 10 here of 2 Timothy 3. And he said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Paul, no doubt, was facing numerous persecutions in his preaching and his teaching. I mean, we can go back and read about his first missionary endeavors, his first tour of duty, so to speak, and the difficulties that he had in those cities. We, we can read about it in Acts chapter 14 where the Bible talks about when Paul was in the city of Derby, where he was stoned. He rose up and went back into the city. And then afterward, he went back through the cities of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, encouraging all of those people, all of those saints, that through many tribulations, through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. Like he did. Did the Apostle Paul know something about persecution and difficulty? Yes, he did. Did Paul understand that living for the Lord Jesus Christ might not be an easy task? Well, of course. Even with some of his difficulties, you can read the missionary endeavors of Paul. I think about his three missionary tours 
All of those missionary endeavors are marked by persecution and difficulty. And so the attributes. But what about his attitude? Paul had an amazing attitude, if you will. And I think his attitude could be attributed to the alliance that he had made with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the one who delivered him out of all the difficulties he faced. Look at verses 10 and 11. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Here it is. But out of them, all the Lord delivered me. You see, the source of Paul's deliverance was the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you think the Apostle Paul was able to face the persecuting, the, the, the difficulties, all of those things, the trials, the tribulations of life, if it wasn't for Christ in his life? Who was it that stuck by him through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times, through the highs and the lows? It was the Lord. But unto them all, he says, the Lord delivered me. Drop down to look at chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul said in writing to Timothy, he says, At my first answer or defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. And then in verse 17, he says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And strengthen me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I also, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And then in verse 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul understood that while here on this earth, that the Lord had been the one who delivered him, who had stood by him throughout his life. Paul making reference to those that had not stood by him, not backing him up, but he said, that was not the case with the Lord. He delivered me. Let me tell you what. It might be the case that folks will tell you that they will stand by you through the thick and thin, but until you go through the thick and the thin, you'll really know who's going to stand by you. Right? I mean, they, mean, they may mean that at that time, but when push comes to shove, the question is, where are they? Where are they? You can always trust in the Lord. He will always stand by you and he will always deliver you and ultimately preserve you for that heavenly kingdom. I want you to bear in mind that in 2 Timothy 4, Paul here knew that death was imminent. He knew it was right around the corner. Did the Lord deliver him out of difficulties in life? Yes, he did. But if you look at verse 18, he said... And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Paul says, look, I tell you what, even in death I win. Even in death I win. 
Why, why do I win? Because I can go to be with Christ. You know, remember what he said in Philippians 1, 20, or Philippians 1, 21. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, I win. And to be with Christ, which is far better, verse 23 of Philippians 1. And so there is the examination. But then in the second place, there is the expectation. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Here Paul would say, Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What is the expectation that Paul here is telling Timothy about? Persecution, right? It's going to happen. It's, it's not a, a if, it's when. Right? What is he saying in the first place? The reality of persecution. What is the reality of persecution? What's the reasoning behind persecution? Well, here he really sums it up. What is it? Godly living. You want to know why Paul is saying to Timothy, you're going to suffer persecution? It's all because of your godly lifestyle. Your godly lifestyle. Now, there are reasons that are attached to godly living. And I think about the fact that those of us who belong to Christ, we need to get ready. We need to get ready to suffer for godly living. Why is that? There are two reasons. Persecution can come, number one, because we are visible for Christ. Oh, you've heard that preachers live in glass houses? Let me tell you, all of us as Christians live in glass houses. Everybody's watching us. Are we living godly for others to see? Are we lights in the world? Yes. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 13 when he said, Ye are the salt of the earth? In other words, you are to be a leavening agent for good in the world in which you live. That's true today, isn't it? Very much so. We're to be an influence for good wherever we are. We should try to be an influence for good whenever and wherever we are in life. But then in verse 16, he said, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill, it cannot be hid. Question. Do people know that you're a child of God? Does your neighbors know? Have you ever thought about the fact that sometimes the church as we know it, we are the church, it's not the building, it's the people. That sometimes the church of our Lord is the best kept secret in the community? Sometimes people just don't know us. Nobody knows us. If they don't know about the church, that means they don't know about you. Why? Because you are the church. You are part of the church. The Bible says that the church is composed of many members, yet but one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And so all of us are to be visible before the world. You remember what Paul had said in Philippians 1, 27, that only let your conversation or conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
He said in Philippians 2 and verse 15 that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Do people know you're a child of God? When people went to Antioch, Iconium, or when Paul went to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, do you think that they knew he was a child of God? I think so. I think so. You see, when he went to the city of Philippi, do you think that they knew, knew about his Christian beliefs? You better believe it. In fact, they knew it so well, they beat him for it. Along with Silas, while in prison, the Bible says that their feet were fastened in stocks, Acts 16, 24. Verse 25 of Acts 16, it says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Why? Because they were visible for Christ. Visible for Christ. Because their lifestyle was as a Christian. A New Testament Christian. Then you go to Acts 17, verses 1 through 6, where we have the account of Paul and Silas. They're in Thessalonica. And the Bible tells us that they were literally run out of town. They were literally run out of town. And you know what was said about them? The statement was made that these men had turned the world upside down. They had made such a change that they had turned the world upside down. They were visible, weren't they? Do you know that what our world needs today is that it needs those of us who belong to the body of Christ to be a shining light for the gospel. For good. Our world needs righteousness. Here, or how is the world going to get a dose of righteousness if we don't shine our light? It's not. We ought to be a shining light for good. People ought to know that we are children of God. But persecution can come because we're visible for Christ. But then number two, it can come, persecution can come because we are vocal for Christ. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You go to Acts chapter 8. Do you remember that great persecution that had swept the early church then? The Bible says that the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And in verse 4 of that text, the Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. That's interesting, isn't it? They were using their voices to sow the seed of the kingdom. And then you drop back down to chapter 4. Peter and John had healed a man at the temple and it had caused quite a stir then. And they are called before the Sanhedrin council in verse 13. And the Bible says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. No doubt they knew whom Peter and John followed. What footsteps they followed in, that was Jesus. They hadn't been to some great university. They had been with Jesus. And in verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. What did they do? Verse 20, they said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In the 21st century in America, Christianity, those of us that believe in the one true living God, those of us who believe in the ideals that are set forth in the scriptures, whether we realize it or not, we have become, in many respects, the whipping post of the media. Of the media. Of Hollywood. What we need to understand is that when we take a stand for what's right, it's going to create some waves. It's going to create some waves. When you stand up and say, look, here's what the Bible says, you can expect to get some grief. No doubt. For example, morally speaking, think about the movement that's been afoot for a generation now regarding homosexuality. But in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus said, have you not read? Oh, wow. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife? Oh, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put us under. Biblically speaking, marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Nothing else. That's what the Bible says. Do I have a right to rewrite scripture? Do I have the right to circumvent what Jesus said? Absolutely not. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to be visible for Christ, and I'm going to be vocal for Christ when it comes to those things. That's what Jesus expects. Now, you can expect some backlash, but that's just one example but what Paul is saying here is, yes, if you're visible for Christ, if you are vocal for Christ, persecutions are going to come. Listen again to what he says, verse 12 of our text. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, notice the term, shall suffer persecution. Someone once said on one, on one occasion, if you're not suffering persecution, maybe it's because you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Maybe it's because we're not living godly in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to stand up, speak out. But in many respects, the devil has muzzled us. We are scared to speak out. We are scared to stand up. 
And we have been bullied by the world. Would you listen to what Solomon said many years ago? He said, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach under any people. Proverbs 14, 34. This country's in a spiral, going down. But we've got the antidote. You know what it is? <laughs> it's called the Bible. It's called the Bible. But this world, this country is not going to change. It's not the course that we are on, but it's not going to be reversed unless we as a people of God become more visible and vocal for Christ. If the church is going to be what it ought to be in the 21st century and beyond that, Lord willing, then we have to be visible, we have to be vocal. But then the expectation, and then there's a third thing. Notice, if you will, the exhortation in verse 13 of our text. There are some key points that Paul shares with Timothy. First of all, he says you need to guard your faith. Why is that? Look at verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now think about that for just a moment. When you look at that passage of Scripture, you have evildoers, evil deeds, and evil doctrines. Do you not? Yes. Evildoers engage in evil deeds and they promote evil doctrines. Now there are some people that will tell you it doesn't matter what you believe. Doctrine is unimportant. Well, if that's the case, why would he leave Timothy in Ephesus and tell him to charge some that they teach no other doctrine? Why? Because evil abounds, doesn't it? Evil abounds. John said in 1 John 5, 18, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Jesus came to do what? To dispel the spiritual darkness surrounding the world. Because he came as a light. A light unto the world. The Lord Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. The light of life. The world's in darkness. And the bottom line is this, that the more people who detach themselves from Scripture, the worse they become. Just look around us. Isn't that not amazing that the stuff that goes on in this area and others as well? Does it not just make you shake your head at night when you watch news at night? Paul's here saying, you need to guard your faith. You need to guard your faith. Individually speaking, every one of us need to guard our faith against what? Against evildoers, against evil deeds, against the evil doctrines. There are a lot of things that are promoted in the name of religion that quite frankly, there's not one verse to support that. Here are just a couple of thoughts along these lines. How many times have you heard people say, well, all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer and the Lord will save you. The Lord will save you. You'll be saved. All you need is one verse. It's not there. I ask them that question every time when they say something like that. I say, well, just give me one book, chapter, and verse. They can't do it. 
if they did, they were able to take a verse that was out of context that totally didn't even mean what they were trying to say. But let me tell you what the Bible says. And I can give you book, chapter, and verse about the gospel of Christ. Guard your faith. There's a lot of things that are important. Some people say, well, one church is as good as another. It's your choice. Doesn't matter. But the Bible says there's just one church. We talked about it briefly this morning in Ephesians 4. But again, you think about doctrine. It is important. And there are a lot of things that could be said along those lines. First of all, guard your faith. And then I want you to think about for just a moment, growth in the faith. Listen now to what Paul said in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child that has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We're talking about the building blocks of faith, aren't we? Timothy was a young evangelist. And what Paul was saying is, you just keep on keeping on. Keep on doing what you're doing. What's the exhortation for us today? Be faithful, be steadfast, unmovable, keep growing, keep maturing in the faith. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we are identified as babes. We are infants. And Peter said, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, 1 Peter 2.2. But as we grow now, as we grow, we do so because Peter would also say, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only way you can grow is to keep learning. Spend time in this book. You know, Timothy was spending time in the Word of God himself since he was just a little fella. And what Paul is saying is that you just stay on that course. Keep on keeping on. And that's what we need to do. And that's to continue learning, to continue growing. And then there is the guide for his faith. Look at verse 16 and 17. Paul says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Have you ever thought about how profitable the Word of God really is? I mean profitable. The sad reality is that there are a lot of people in our world today that don't realize this book is very profitable. I, I wish that the people in Washington understood that this book is profitable. I wish that people in Washington could come to the understanding that all the social programs and all the things that they're trying to do to somehow reverse our course pales in comparison to this book. You've heard the prayers. We pray that our leaders of our nation will turn to the Word of God for the answers that are needed for this of what we call the United States of America. Well, for the world as well. This book has the answers. If we want to get on track economically and morally, let me tell you how we can do it. 
we go back to the Bible. We go back to the Bible because it is profitable. When families do not have as a standard or guide in their home, God's holy word, they're, they're being undermined. You, you think about our nation today. What's the old saying? As the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in trouble because the home is in trouble. But if we have godly mamas and daddies and grandmamas, or mamas and grandmamas like Timothy, you think about Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and he talked about the faith which dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice, and I am per- persuaded that in you also. Who was responsible of the, who, who was responsible for that? His family. There are a whole lot of mamas and daddies and husbands and wives whose lives are in chaos. And the reason is, is because they have not come to understand that this book that we call the Bible is profitable. It is profitable. If you're off course, you want to get back on course, open God's holy word. But then notice it's a pattern. For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When you open up this book, it's like a mirror, isn't it? When you look into this book, you know what it does. It tells you where you stand with God. It's a pattern for how you live. And how you serve the Lord and how you worship the Lord. And ultimately, this book is the way to get to heaven, isn't it? It is the way. The only way. You can't get to heaven without this book. Why? Because you need to keep it open. You need to keep it open. Why? Because it's profitable. Why? Because it's a pattern. It's a pattern. If you get rid of the map, you'll be lost. Here's your map to heaven. Stay on course. That's what Paul told young Timothy. Just keep on keeping on. Stay on course with what you know and what you've learned. So here Paul is saying, look, you want to be equipped to serve the Savior? Timothy, think about this. Paul was about to die. He's been a father in the faith to Timothy, and he's given him some words of exhortation. But think about how I've lived before you, but think of how I've conducted myself. And then because you, Timothy, are a gospel preacher, you need to get ready to suffer as a Christian. And then when you want to stay grounded, here's how you do it. Here's how you stay faithful to God. The Word of God. This is it. There is no other way. And so in closing, I want to ask you tonight, are you equipped to serve the Lord today and even the days forward? I hope that you are. I think that you understand now what you need to do to be equipped. You know, the Bible talks about the very fact that it's the, the sword that's a double-edged sword to the dividing asunder, piercing. But it's up to us to open up that book to be able to see it. If you're here and not a Christian tonight, can we encourage you to become one? Tomorrow may be too late. We don't know what's going to happen. We make plans for the days and the days ahead. But have we made plans for the days or for eternity? 
If you haven't, I hope that you will tonight. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repentance of your sins, making that good confession, going down into the waters of baptism to rise and walk in the newness of life, a child of God. To shine the light to all those that are round about you so that they have that same opportunity given you. And then to live faithfully, knowing that heaven is your home. If you're here already a child of God, wandered away, come back. Be right, right, repenting and praying that God will forgive you and will pray with you as well. Won't you come? There's power in the blood, but it's up to you to come in contact with it as together we stand and sing.